0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In the earlier reading, we heard the phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice, the Lord is near. Now, I don't know about you, but this passage feels either incredibly appropriate or incredibly inappropriate, given all that is going on in the world this week. It has not been a very happy week on the global stage. Many of us come into church carrying, I think, uh, these very upsetting events in our hearts, or maybe you've spent all week consuming take after take after take. You feel pressure to have a fully fleshed out opinion on a situation that people spend lifetimes studying. And here you have this injunction to rejoice. To rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. But not only that, you have the mention of the peace which surpasses all understanding. Those of you who have brought up in the, certainly the Episcopal tradition uh, know that phrase. Because it's the same phrase we say usually at the end of the service. Uh, our prayer book says, The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what we say before we leave. We, we're sent out in peace. And we're sent out into a world of unpeace. Now, what am I talking about? The historian William Barclay, who's also a theologian, wrote in the, in the, I think, late 70s, in his book, The Facts of the Matter, he said, In the last 300 years, There have been 386 wars in Europe. And since the year 1500, 8,000 known peace treaties have been signed. Each one was signed with the intention that it should last forever. But the average length of each was a little over two years. Unpeace is what we live with. But we don't just live with it outside. What about your own peace treaties for a second? What about the, the... the resolutions that you have to 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 make peace with that parent with whom you haven't spoken to make peace with that child after after school following what happened before school to make peace with the boss that you've had an argument with i mean Go further, though. What about, I will make peace finally. This will be the year I make peace with my fear of being overlooked. I make peace with my fear of being rejected. I make peace with that fear of being humiliated. I'm able to live courageously. Or perhaps this is the year, this is the day that you make peace with your guilt over that thing you did last week or ten years ago. I don't know what it is, but I know that we all have peace treaties that we've broken ourselves, that we have a trouble upholding. I know that we need more peace. We desperately need more peace, but cannot seem to get it through our own efforts. Now, there are two different methods of attaining peace that I want to just focus on this morning, partly because Paul does. First of all, we do believe that peace will come through understanding. And so we study every conceivable wrinkle of a situation. If I just had more knowledge, well then I'd feel okay about it. And sometimes that can help. Sometimes you find out that, you know, the child with whom you always have a conflict actually has a diagnosis. They're on the autism spectrum. And all of a sudden the conflict at home becomes a little bit more peaceful. You can deal with that. Or perhaps, um, uh, you know, it, you find out your Enneagram number. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, that's why that person is so incredibly intolerable. You know, like, They're an Enneagram eight. And then there's peace. But sometimes understanding is not enough. In fact, I think it's often not enough. I always think of Seinfeld. That's just my, the language of my internal life. There's a George Costanza is being broken up with in a famous episode, the sort of perennial loser in the show, and the the woman says, George, it's just not working out. It's not you, it's me. And he says, it's not you? You're giving me the it's not you, it's me routine? I invented the it's not you, it's me routine. If it's anybody, it's me. And he says, all right, all right, George, it is, it's you. And it turns out it has everything to do with how he eats ice cream sundaes. Now, can you imagine breaking up with someone because of how they eat and the noises they make? I think we actually can imagine that. (laughs) But understanding why he's being rejected doesn't help. It doesn't give him any peace. It makes him more upset. Likewise, uh, the people we know in our lives who seem to have bounced back after terrible tragedies, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who lost both of her parents in a car accident a couple years ago, and I asked her, sort of, what is the, you seem so much more peaceful this year. What, what's going on? And she said, well, I've given up on the question of why. I stopped asking that question. I've started asking the question, not why did this happen, but where is God now that it did happen? And. She's not alone. You see, the Bible describes many instances of the suffering of the innocent, terrible atrocities, and yes, in the Middle East. And yet doesn't seem especially interested in defending God or apologizing for God. And the truth is, we may never understand what is going on, but that doesn't mean we are shut off from peace. So understanding may work, usually doesn't. What about our current way of achieving peace though, right? It's through achieving. We will have peace once all the dishes are finally put away. We will have dish like in my house growing up it was always like, once the thank you notes have finally been written then peace will reign <laughs> in our home. Peace through achievement, through the ironing out of circumstances. There's a very wonderful but also quite harrowing book that came out last month called Never Enough When Achievement Culture Turns Toxic. It's by Jennifer Wallace. She's a journalist, and she's been making the rounds, and what she wrote this book, because there were two different national policy reports that came out in 2019 and 2020, that said that the top three groups of at-risk children, children who are at risk for anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and self-harm, the top group was children with incarcerated parents. The second group was children in the foster care program and the third group were children in high achieving high schools in affluent suburbs sound familiar those kids were identified as an at risk group two to six times the national average of clinical levels of depression anxiety and substance abuse and so she set out to find out what is going on that is that, that is creating so much unpeace suffering in this kind of, uh, you know, bubble. Because people think, oh, it's the phones, right? And it probably is partly the phones. Uh, But she was interviewed by uh, Scott Galloway, and she, she said, you know, social media is certainly a magnifier, an accelerant to these toxic pressures, but it's not the root of it. The root of this, from what I can see, is a lack of mattering, a lack of feeling valued for who we are at our core. We feel valued now for what we achieve, how much money we make. Society tells us that certain people matter more, those influencers matter more, those with the most likes matters more. But what others see as a crisis of social media, I see as a crisis of mattering. And indeed, when she found the group within that group of high achieving high schoolers that was the most at risk for these problems, it was all those who felt that their own value and worth was completely tied to their performance at school. And those who were high achieving but healthy were those who felt confident in their parents' approval outside of their performance. They mattered. Well, the peace of God for Paul, that gives us a little bit of a window in. The peace of God that Paul is talking about is rooted in external mattering. The chapter before this passage, he talks about how he has forsaken all external measures of worth, all barometers of performance which bring unpeace. For what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. You see, the peace of God does not arrive through understanding, but through being understood. Not through achieving some fluctuating, never enough yardstick of achievement, but through the rock-solid achievements of another on your behalf. When you can locate your mattering externally, in the eyes of my parents, in the eyes of God, well then peace can be found in any situation. And that's what the gospel is. That's why we talk about God's grace every single week, because it is, it is an external anchor of meaning that mutes the to's and fro's of the everyday. And you see, Paul's not just saying this, he's writing this letter from prison. He's not in circumstances that look very good. He doesn't understand. Entirely, why he's there. The peace of God arrives not in spite of strife, but in the very midst of it and through it. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about Diane Collard. Maybe you've read uh, there's an essay in The Mockingbird uh, recently about Diane Collard. Now, she was a missionary serving, American missionary serving with her husband in Eastern Europe when they got the phone call that their oldest son had been uh, brutally killed and murdered. Uh, living in LA. And um, she did not know what to do with this. She writes the following. She says, the following months of grief, the waves of pain were accompanied by perennial questions that demanded answers. Why did God allow this to happen? Where is the hope we need to go on living? Is God good? These were only some of the questions that punctuated my journey toward healing. Well, today, I can unequivocally declare, yes, God is good, even in the midst of a life that is unfair. I've surrendered the question of why to a new question, God, what can you do to both glorify yourself and to heal others through this horrible situation? She evinces peace in the midst of the worst circumstances imaginable, and she does so. She goes on to say it has everything to do with realizing how God use her. This is what she says. She said, I started to look afresh at the scriptures and what I saw was the story of God's own son who himself was murdered and yet who on the cross cried out not for recrimination or revenge but for forgiveness, for mercy for those who were putting him there. And so with a prayer that God would make me willing I asked that I, too, might show mercy and to forgive the murderer of my child. The initial act of forgiveness was to pray for my son's murderer by name. I had never uttered his name because he had become a monster in my mind. But when I started praying for Mike, he became a man, one whom God loved and for whom Christ died. Eventually, when this man responded to God's offer of mercy and forgiveness, he became my brother in Christ, and so we worked to have him released from prison. As impossible as it sounds, I can honestly say that I now love the murderer of my child, and this is only through the mercy and love of God. She has found some modicum of peace, in other words, but it hasn't come through some personal achievement and certainly not through the solving of a mystery of why. She concludes by saying, I truly wonder if I could ever have understood and delighted in God's mercy for me without experiencing what it took for me to forgive the murderer of my child. I am far more aware today of the cost of God's forgiveness and his love for me now that I have learned to express mercy. And as a result, I have been blessed with love, grace, freedom, and peace. It was not a lesson I would have chosen, but I am so grateful for what God has taught me. That, my friends, is what it looks like to rejoice in all things. In the midst of the unpeace in which we live, in the midst of the unpeace which lives inside of us, in the midst of the many, many whys that elude answering, there is one crystal clear abiding truth that three days after the world had done its dirtiest work on the most innocent of all, Jesus Christ rolled back the stone and emerged from the grave, as if to say that the death of the innocent is not the last word. This resurrection, this is our hope. And that is our peace. Amen.